Welcome to the Rock Community Church. Pastor John Warehouse is teaching from the book of Acts. Enjoy today's sermon. Well, we get to start a new book. I am really excited about this. I can't, <laughs> I'm glad you're happy about that. I don't know, wait, I've got to think about that. Are you happy because we finally, I'll, I'll think that through. Uh, what I'd like for you to do, if you would turn with me please first, before we get to the book of Acts. I want you to look at two books. They're side by side. There's, there's Nehemiah and Ezra. They sit side by side. Nehemiah is easy to find. It's kind of, if you get to the, uh, the, the middle of the Old Testament, it's the book of Psalms. And if you turn to the left just a little bit, you'll go past, uh, um, uh, Esther, is it? And, and, huh? Job, and then I think, and, and I think Esther's there. But anyways, Nehemiah is right there, just a little bit to the left. And, and then right before Nehemiah, uh, a one book before that is, is Ezra. I'll show you why. I'm going to tell you why in a moment. Uh, I was studying this particular week and just, just excited as all get out about getting into the book of Acts. The reason I'm excited about getting into Acts is because I think it's going to really set our uh, tone of what kind of church we're to become. You see, there is no standard in the Bible that tells you how you ought to have a service. In other words, you ought to have music here, you ought to have this there and that there. In fact, I... Uh, I think that, that the church should be led and, and, and be open to be led by the Spirit of God as He would move us. I remember a couple weeks ago, maybe three, I can't remember now, but one of my most, most fam- favorite moments that we've had here at this church was a time that we kind of opened up for prayer. And I asked you if you wouldn't mind praying. I don't know if you remember it all. You might not have been here. But I asked you to open up in prayer, and everybody prayed kind of just a, a short sentence prayer. Well, in this service and then the following service, it was, it was like amazing. In the second service on the Sunday morning, it, it, it just went on. And it went on and on. And I sat down and I, I started to weep. I, I sat right here on the stage and, and there was some other people up here on the stage and it was fairly crowded. And, and just, it seemed like almost everybody had something that they wanted to thank the Lord for. And it was such a blessing. And I thought, that's church to me. That church to me wasn't necessarily that I would get up and preach, but rather, rather church would be that, that we just would share as a family. And so uh, I believe when we go through the book of Acts, what we're going to find out is how we conduct church. But I don't believe the Bible ever tells you, well, you should have it in this particular order. But I believe it tells us very clearly, as we're going to see, and as we've seen every week, um, it tells us very clearly that, that we ought to understand and really get to know the Word of God. It's the very essence of church. It's, it's, um, it's a travesty, really, that we have, we have uh, allowed churches to, to grow and flourish with, that, that just don't teach the people the very Word of God, the very essence of what He writes to us. I mean, I believe God one day is going to say to some pastors, look, I wrote this thing down here. Why didn't you read it to the people at least? There's an order to it. You know, if, if I sent... I, one of these days I'm going to read you um, an email I got. Maybe some of you received it as well. There's a, a, a friend that I still have, Jimmy, knows very well by, uh, by the name of Bert Hooten. Bert and I communicate a lot by email. And Bert um, has a real heartbeat. By the way, does this green go with this green? <laughs> Kay wasn't home to dress me this morning. And I got cold, and I, and I don't hardly ever wear a, a coat or a thing. And if you got close to this, you'll see it's all ratty. It's got little balls on it. This Kay would die if she knew I was wearing this. 
Does it go okay? <clears throat> well, Bert, Bert writes, writes me back and forth. We, we communicate a lot back and forth. And, um, and he sent me this email that I'll read to you someday. Um, and, and my point was that, that our Lord wrote us, wrote us the Bible so that we would read it and that we would read it in order. Well, the crux of what I'm going to read you somewhere down the road when I, um, when I feel it's apropos is this, this, um, this gentleman, um, young man, it was in the Marine Corps, and he died in this war. And um, his father wrote a letter to President Bush just thanking him, you know, that, um, for what he stood for, you know, and, and all that. And he said that he, he knew that his son did not die in vain. And, and, he, and he read, he, he sent along to President Bush um, a letter that his son wrote by hand in case he didn't come back from the, from, the, from the war that he wanted it read to his family. And in this letter, so personal, he was saying how much he loved his daddy and how much he loved his mom and, and his sisters and his brother. And I thought, what a travesty if, if, if someone would get that letter and not read it from start to finish. Because he had a reason that he wrote it. Don't you think? Don't you think he would want every word read to his family, his loved ones? And when I got this email, it, it, it affected me on every level, as it might, you might guess. It affected me on, on the, the integrity of this father that would, uh, that would write this letter to President Bush and, and, um, and thank him, really. And, and all of this, on every level, the, the letter was amazing. But where it affected me the most was to think that there are pastors that are opening up the Bible today and not reading what God has written to you and me. Do you not think that he wants us to read every word? I do. Do you not think that he wants us to keep it in its context? I do. And and do you not think that he, he will hold us accountable to what's written in here? I do. And so I believe he's going to someday say, you know, hey, I wrote this darn stuff. Why didn't you read it? You know, some pastors are going to they're going to jump from a topic here, and then all of a sudden they're going to say, you know, um, oh, I don't know, I don't know, because I don't try to think in that fashion. But they're going to go from topic to topic to topic, and they're not going to allow their congregation to really get a grasp of where they're going or what they're trying to say within this, the Bible, and 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 what will be the outcome? We're going to have people that are not fully aware of what the Bible has to say to us. And one of the privileges, as I was writing this out this week, I, I wrote, what a, what a privilege that you folks have afforded me. And last night, the, the congregation just applauded because I said that you have given me the privilege to preach expositionally. That means word upon word, line upon line, through the Bible. It is a blessing that no pastor could ask for more of from any church. But what I also said was that, on the other hand, no church should ask or allow a pastor to do anything less. It, it is woe to us if we, we you know, when, when the time is over for me here at, at this church and, and we, we have the next person come to teach, woe to us and woe to you and me if I'm still alive and we allow this person to teach not through the Word of God. It, that is why we gather together. 
And let me tell you, it is our goal, our goal here, to give you and me the opportunity of having a lasting and deep experience with your Lord and Savior. And that only comes through a deeper understanding of the Word of God. I hold very little back. I mean, most people say I am like an open book. I'm pretty transparent. I I have no hidden agenda for what we're trying to do here. I have none. I'll tell you, when I come here, the the week before, but the day, but the hours before, the time before I come in here, I pray over and over again. It's not by accident that I pray, Lord, would you remove me so that people don't see me? For God's sakes, please, Father, let them see you. By the way, by the way, that's not original with me. When I, the first church I ever attended was Dr. Jack MacArthur, Johnny MacArthur's father in Eugene, Oregon. And he used to say that every week. You need to know that I have no original thought. I don't have an original thought in my body. I just, when I started, when I started learning more about the Bible, I thought, man, that is right on. That is right on. What he was praying every week in church was right on. And I, I remember saying somewhere in the process of my walk with Christ, if I ever had the privilege of teaching, I want that's what I would love to emulate. I would love to see that that takes place. And, and, and so, so that you and I would have understanding of the Word of God, we must study the Bible line upon line. I ask you to turn to Ezra and to Nehemiah. Let me show you why. In Nehemiah... Let me put my place here. I had it marked, so I'll get right to it. In Nehemiah, if you look at... um, I want you to hold between two places. Nehemiah chapter 8 and Ezra chapter 7. Very simple. It's not not going to be really complex. It says in Nehemiah chapter 8, after they had rebuilt the, um, the city... It says, all the people gathered in, in verse 1 of chapter 8 of Nehemiah, all the people gathered together as one person at the square, which was in front of the water gate, and they asked Ezra, the scribe, to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given to Israel. Now, hold your place here. Why do you think they asked Ezra? Well, I, I wondered about that. Why didn't Nehemiah read from the book of the law? Well, if you read back in Ezra and you study the Bible at all, you'll see in Ezra chapter 7, verse 10, one of the great verses in all of Scripture. It says, Ezra, watch, verse 10 of chapter 7 of Ezra. Ezra set his heart to do, watch, three things. To study the law of the Lord, to practice what he studied, and to teach the statutes and ordinances in Israel. That's the proper order, by the way. When the next pastor comes to take over, or myself, there are three things that you ought to ask of me. That is to study the Word of God with all of my heart, to practice what I learn, in other words, to live it, and then to teach it. And you cannot get those three things out of order. You must Study, you must practice, and then you must teach. Now, that's why they called Ezra. Go back to Nehemiah chapter 8. They brought Ezra there because it says in verse 2, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of men and women and everyone who could listen with understanding on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it, the law, before the square, which is in front of the water gate, from early morning until midday in the presence of men and women, those who could understand. 
And all of the people were attentive to the book of the law. Look what it says here, which is really an interesting verse, verse 4. Ezra, the scribe, stood at a wooden, wooden podium which they had made for the purpose. Do you know that this was made for us here? I know, I mean, I, I know that's stretching scripture. I understand that. But still, it just touches my heart that some, some of our people of this church made this podium for us to have. Wooden podium made by the people for the purpose of, of studying the word of God. Um, and then it says, and, and the rest of that verse is a bunch of names, most of which I, I have trouble pronouncing, so may I skip that verse, please, with you? <laughs> and then it says, in Ezra, verse 5, And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above the people. And when he opened it, all of the people stood up. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people said, Amen, Amen. And they lifted their hands, then they bowed low, and they worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. It mentions these people again, but if you look halfway through verse 7, it says the Levites. You get to the Levites? They then explained the law to the people while the people remained in their place. And they read from the book, from the law of God, translating to give sense so that they understood the reading. People, in the heart of Ezra, in the heart of Nehemiah, I too desire to strive to give sense to the reading of the Word of God. So that when you and I hear God speak to us, in hearing Him, we may understand and then respond to what He is saying to your heart. Now obviously, let's go now to the New Testament. Let's take a look at 2 Timothy for a moment. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, now, obviously, there is a reason for the scriptures to be read. There is a reason that our Lord allowed us to have his written word. He didn't want us to go through it haphazardly. He didn't want us to catch a little bit here and then a little bit there and jump from this place to that place and who knows where we're going to land next week. Obviously, we need to understand God. That demands we're, no, we're to know the word of truth. Paul said to Timothy, look at 2 Timothy chapter 2. Look at verses 1 and 2. I know that's not up there. I will get to verse 15 in a second. He says in verse 1, you therefore, Paul speaking to Timothy, my son, he says, I want you to be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And he says, the things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses these entrust the faithful people who will be able to teach others also. In verse 2, there are four generations. There's Paul, there's Timothy, there's the people that Timothy taught, and there's the people that Timothy taught that they taught. Four generations of people. That's the way it's supposed to go. It's supposed to go from generation to generation, passed on the Word of God. So, Paul says to Timothy, verse 15, which is key to you and me, he says, therefore, Timothy, I want you to be diligent. That means to study hard, to present yourselves approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed of accurately handling what? The word of truth, the very word of God. Therefore, Paul says in another place in Scripture, you don't need to turn to it, 
in Colossians. He says, I want you to have the word of Christ richly dwell within you. The dominant drive of my ministry, the dominant drive of the Rock Community Church, will be to help to make the Word of God alive in your life as well as my life, so it might richly dwell within us. You see, it then becomes, Scripture then becomes a wonderful adventure. It allows for your personal growth. And soon, in this fashion, if we study in this way, Soon you'll begin to realize that your wisdom is coming from God. You will not, you will not believe that it is some church or it is some denomination or some dim-witted pastor that is passing along this wisdom to you. On the contrary, you will soon, if we continue to study the Bible as we do, in this fashion, line upon line, I promise that you will begin to realize that it is God that is speaking to your heart and that it is God that is drawing you closer to himself rather than to a religion or to a church or to a denomination. He is moving in your heart so that you will become the person that he wants you to become. One of the most amazing things any pastor will ever hear, and I hear it often, is in fact, I heard it last night, A woman came to me even after I said all these things and she said, you were speaking to me, weren't you? And I said, well, yeah and no. Number one, if you were touched, I said to her, God did it. It wasn't me. Not that good. It was the Lord that moved your heart. And to think that that the Lord would speak to just one of us, He's going to speak to every single one of us and and every single one of us here is going to need a different kind of twist to what we're going to hear because we're going through different situations. And the Lord will move in that fashion if we'll get out of the way and present His Word to His people. This is how He ministers to us. And so I told you we're not going to go in the uh, New Testament, but I, I, I forgot. I want you to look at Proverbs It was up there, Proverbs chapter 22, verse 19. I was coming across all of this. All of this was going through my mind and my heart this week as I started to prepare for the book of Acts. And after I wrote all of this out, and everything that I told you was a, a thought process that I had during the week, I wrote it out. I called Kay, Kay's my wife. I said, Kay, come here. I, I really think I grasp what, what is the intent of my heart as a pastor. What is the intent of my heart as, as someone that tries to study the Word of God? And I, I read her this, and she says, Well, it sounds to me like Proverbs 22, 19. And I said, How, how do you do that? How do you do that? Uh, she's, how do you do that? How do you remember those things? I want you to look at Proverbs 22, 19. You see, the Lord God said in the book of Proverbs, I want your trust be in the Lord. Look what it says. So that your trust may be in the Lord. I, God is speaking, I have taught you today, even you. And when I read that, I just kind of said, that's it. Our trust is in the Lord. He, even He wants to teach even us. That even you to me goes 
Like, I read that, even you, dummy. Uh, forgive me, but that's the way I see myself, you know. It's like, I want you to place your trust in me. I will teach you today. Even you I'll teach. And so he cannot teach you and me unless we get into his word. That's the magic of being taught by God. And so as we begin this study of the book of Acts, would you pray with me? That somehow, some way, God will move in our hearts. That that this 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 time through this place in the Word of God will minister to our hearts and minister to us as a church. That we will catch a glimpse of what a church really ought to look like, and we will become that body of believers that formulates a church that really wants to grow to be conformed into the image of ours, our Lord and Savior, dear Father. We embark upon a, a journey now into the book of Acts, the, the very leading of the Holy Spirit upon the apostles who passed along their wonderful truth to the next generation, who passed it along to the next generation, who in turn eventually passed it along to us so that we can pass it along to the next generation should you, um, should you wait to come back for a longer time. May we be faithful, Father, to this time, not knowing what lies ahead. Only you do that. May we be faithful for what we have right now. And that is the privilege of being able to read your, your words, being able to gather together and not be under any judgment now or, or constrictions where people say you can and cannot do that, although... That day, I believe, is coming, should you tarry. And so, Father, may we bury with um, open hearts and open minds, study your Bible and, and your words, and, and may it conform us into the image that you so desire us to be. As I pray, as Dr. Jack taught me, I pray that you would uh, move me aside, dear Father God. Please, let us feel and sense that we've heard from you that you might move us to that place that you want us to be. Any agenda that I would have, Father, I will only tell the people up front. But, Lord, my agenda is pure in the sense that I just want you to be seen. I want you to be heard. And I want people to become, myself included, I want us to become like you. And so that's my agenda. That's it, plain and simple. May we, Father, abide by that. And may we do... As Ezra, may we study your word, may we then practice it, and then may we teach it. Teach it to our children, our loved ones, our friends, whomever you allow us to teach. I pray you, Father, would bless this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Love you so much. Thank you for letting me have the privilege of being a part of our lives as we kind of do what we do here. Well, let's get to the book of Acts. Um, we're just going to overview it today. Next week, we'll start at verse 1 and, and move through. But Acts is considered to be, folks, an extension of Luke's gospel. There's Matthew, Mark, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I don't know if you know this or not, but Acts is considered by many to be the fifth gospel. It's the bridge between the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and the epistles, the letters that were written by the apostles. 
It is as if, Acts is, it is as, as if all the four Gospels were poured into this big funnel and it, it come down and funneled into the book of Acts. Let me show you how. In Matthew, the last recorded fact about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, is the resurrection. Look at Acts chapter 1, verse 3. It says, To these he also presented himself alive after his suffering. By many convicting proofs, he appeared to them over a period of 40 days, speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. The last recorded act in the book of Matthew, in the book of Matthew was erection, resurrection. Here it is again presented in Acts chapter 1. In Mark, the last recorded act was our Lord ascending into heaven. Look at verses 9, 10, and 11. After he said these things, Acts chapter 1. After he said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. As they were gazing intently into the sky, he was departing, beholding two men in white clothing stood beside him. Wow, how would you like to have seen that? In the book of Luke, there's the promise of the Holy Spirit to come. Look at Acts chapter 1, look at verse 5. John baptized with water, but Jesus says, You shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Look at verse 8. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. In the book of John, we see finally that Jesus Christ comes again and he talks with Peter as, uh, after they had fished and caught some fish and he asked them, do you love me? Remember that? You remember that, I'm sure. Peter says, you know I like you a lot. And so he said, well, feed my sheep, take care of my lambs. In Acts, in verse 11, we see him also. He said to the men of Galilee, why do you stand looking in the sky? This Jesus who had been taken up from you into heaven, he's going to come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. You see, the book of Acts is, is our history. It is our roots, if you would. It records the story of the church from its explosive beginnings. Look at the day of Pentecost. Look at, at, at chapter 2 for just a second. In chapter 2, it says, when verse 1, When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together. This is the disciples. They were all together in one place. Just a few of them. There wasn't a lot of them. And suddenly, it says in verse 2, There came from heaven a, a noise like a violent, rushing wind. And it filled the whole house where they were seated. And after that, they went out and, and, and reached the world. Look at... Look at chapter 2, look at verse 41, and this is, I'm skipping a lot, of course. We will go through it all, line upon line in a moment, I mean, as weeks go by. In verse 41 it says, So then those who had received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Look at chapter 4, look at verse 4. After Peter had spoken to the people, it says in, in verse 4 of chapter 4, Many of those who had heard the message believed, and the number of the men, just the men, not counting the women and children, came to be about 5,000. There was an explosion of the church upon the scene. And it happened once the Holy Spirit of God came upon the people. That's the start of, that's the, start of the book of Acts. The end of it is the imprisonment of of one of the greatest missionaries and teachers of the Word of God, I guess, ever, and that was Paul. 
Look at the last chapter, chapter 28, and watch how this concludes. Acts chapter 28. I don't, I, the only reason I'm getting this to the conclusion is just to kind of set the tone of what this great book is about. In chapter 28 and verse 30, it says he, talking about Paul, he now is in prison, but he wasn't, didn't seem like he was in a very difficult place of imprisonment. He stayed two full years in his own rented quarters and he was welcoming everyone who came to him and he was doing these things. Look at verse 31. Preaching the kingdom of God and teaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all openness and unhindered. During those three decades, from the day of Pentecost to the imprisonment of of Paul, in this, the book of Acts, the church exploded. It exploded from a small group of Jewish believers in Jerusalem to embrace thousands upon thousands of people. And they met in homes. They met in homes because they hadn't yet started building churches. They weren't building places where the churches met but they met in homes throughout the Roman world. They reached Jew and Gentile alike. And so Acts describes how the Spirit of the, of the Lord God controlled and empowered the destiny of the church, how He'll move hopefully within this church. And it's monumental to know what happens in Acts because you and I, we'd have a difficulty of understanding the flow of church history without the book of Acts. But with the book of Acts, we will be able to understand the ministry of Peter. We'll be able to watch it firsthand. We'll see what he has to say and how he acts and reacts. We're going to learn the principles of discipline within the family of God. We're going to see how to build the church. And we're also going to see how to evangelize the world. Acts boldly proclaims that Jesus Christ is Israel's long-awaited Messiah. We're going to hear over and over again that Jesus Christ is the only way. Let me show you. Look at, look at chapter 2 for a moment. Acts chapter 2. In verse 14, by the way, we, you ought to have, we ought to have a, um, um, a, what do they call it when you, when you, uh, have a, a, a guess on how long this, this, my Bible's falling apart. We ought to have a, a guess on when this thing is going to finally fall apart and I have to get another one, uh, which really troubles me. <laughs> I hate the thought of losing this thing. But anyways, look at chapter 2. Pages of my Bible are just getting looser and looser. Look at verse 14. In verse 14, pardon me here. Oh, it's getting looser and looser. Amen. It's being used. (laughs) That's true. It says, Peter, taking his stand with the eleven, raised his voice and declared to them, Men of Judea and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you. Give heed to my word. These men are not drunk. In other words, the people were saying, whoa, these people got filled with the Spirit of God and they appeared to be like they were drunk. And he said, no, 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 we're not drunk. Let me tell you what's just taken place. He said, this was spoken, verse 17, through the prophet Joel. And then he says in verse 22, I'm going to jump around a little bit. He says, men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus, the Nazarene, the man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know, this man, delivered up by the predetermined plan and the foreknowledge of God, you nailed to the cross by the hands of godless men and you put him to death. And God raised him up again. He goes on to talk about that. Look at chapter 3. Look at verse 1. Peter and John it says in verse 1 of chapter 3, we're going to the temple in the ninth hour and there, there was a certain man who was lame. We're going to talk about that. I can't wait to talk about this guy. And they heal him. 
In verse 11 it says, While this guy was still clinging to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them in so-called portico of Solomon, full of amazement. And when Peter saw them, he replied to the people, saying, Men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Why do you gaze at us as if by our own power or our own piety we've made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, he has glorified his servant Jesus, the one whom you delivered up, the one whom you disowned in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you disowned the holy and righteous one. You asked for a murder to be granted to you. And you put to death the prince of life. Man, I can't wait to get into this. I'm starting to cry already. Thinking about the marvelous. I just would have loved to have been there to watch Peter. You know, the bold guy, you know, just just, you know, just preach at him, you know. Look at chapter 4. They were speaking to the people and the priest and a certain uh, a captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came upon them being greatly disturbed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming Jesus, the resurrection from the dead. Let's jump to verse 10. He says, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel by the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene whom you crucified, God raised from the dead. By this name, this man stands here before you in good health. He, talking of Jesus, is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, but which became the very cornerstone. And there is salvation, Peter says, in no one else. There is no other name under heaven that has been given among men, among men by which you and I must be saved. You know what? If there was another way... I think Peter would have said, you know, it's okay. Go the way you're going. You're going to be fine. Everything will be fine. Just, just, just be a good person. Live a good life. Go the way you're going, and you're going to be fine. No, Peter couldn't do that because empowered by the very Spirit of God, he said to them, look it, there is no other way. You rejected him. You still have another chance to accept him. There is salvation in no one else. There is no other name given among men by which you and I must be saved. Listen, if there were other ways to God, I think Peter would have allowed them that option. But he didn't. In what could have been his death, he said and proclaimed the very righteousness of the very Messiah that you and I know and love today. And so this is the book of Acts. It's going to be power-packed with things like this. Of great importance in the book of Acts is the Great Commission. It's announced in all four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but it's confirmed in the book of Acts. And the reason nothing took place in the four Gospels is because the Spirit of God had not yet come upon the people. There's nothing that you and I can do in our own power to make anything happen. We must be empowered by the very Spirit of God. And once the Spirit of God comes upon us, then there's nothing that we can't do that God will allow. There's no limits to what God might do through you and me. There's no limits what he might do to this church. There is absolutely no limit because we will be empowered by the very spirit of God himself. And so God will do with us as he wants to do with us. And who knows? But I believe that God will want to do something excellent, want to do something glorious. But once we become empowered by the theme uh, by the very essence of what is the Great Commission, that's when things start to happen in your life and in my life. And so the theme, the very key of the Bible, of the book of Acts, is the eighth verse of chapter 1. 
It says you're going to receive power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And then he says, you'll become my witnesses. In Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria. You'll become my witnesses to the remotest parts of this earth. For the most part, Acts divides itself into those three statements. Key to the very book of Acts is verse 8. It's the Great Commission. In chapters 1 through 7, we're going to watch the Holy Spirit work in Jerusalem. In chapters 8 through 12, for the most part, we're going to see him work in Samaria, excuse me, Judea and Samaria. And in chapters 13 to 28, that's when Paul and, and Barnabas, and that's when those guys go off into the remotest parts of the earth. And we're going to watch God work through the Holy Spirit, through those gentlemen and ladies to reach the world for the cause of Christ. Now, I want to close with this thought. Look at the last chapter, chapter 28. Everyone writes about this. All the commentaries. In fact, I have a note. I don't remember when I wrote it in. I wrote it in a long time ago, in my, in, in right after the, the 31st verse. It says, this epistle ends abruptly. Just as Paul's life ended abruptly. You want to note something very interesting. When we come to the book of the, the end of this great book, we're going to see that there is absolutely no official ending. Look what it says. It says that Paul, verse 31, was preaching the kingdom of God. He was teaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all openness, unhindered. Boom, closed. There's no ending to this. It's just that. We simply see Paul imprisoned. We see him teaching to those who would listen. But watch, watch what the, watch, watch the same problem that Jesus Christ has, Paul has, the same problem you and I will have. Look at verse 22 of chapter 28. Chapter 20, chapter 28, verse 22. They, the religious leaders of the day, they came to Paul and they said, we desire to hear from you what your views are concerning this sect. This sect meaning Christianity. What are your views concerning Christianity? It is known to us that it is spoken against everywhere. In other words, people are opposing it everywhere. What is your views about this sect, Paul? Verse 23 says, When they had set a day for him, they came to his lodging in large numbers. This, they come to Paul. And Paul was explaining to them by solemnly testifying about the kingdom of God. And note, trying to persuade them concerning Jesus Christ from both the law of Moses and from the prophets from morning to night. You know how he was trying to explain to them? By the word. He wasn't just telling them haphazardly some thoughts. He was showing them the word of God, the law of, of Moses and the law of the prophets. That's the Old Testament. He was explaining Jesus to them by that way. Some of them, it says in verse 24, which I have really underlined very heavily in my Bible. Some of them were being persuaded by the things spoken, but others, but others, they would not believe. You know, just like it was with Jesus Christ, they just wouldn't believe him. Now he's resurrected from the dead. He is alive. They're, they're, they're making statements about this, and still people will not believe. And they were, they were at, 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 at odds. Note what it says in verse 25. They didn't agree with one another. They began leaving after Paul had spoken one parting word. Here's what really made them angry. 
He said, Paul said, you know, the Holy Spirit spoke rightly of, through Isaiah the prophet about your fathers. He says, you go to this people and say, you keep on hearing, but you don't understand. You keep on seeing, but you don't perceive. The heart of this people, they become dull. With their ears, they scarcely hear. They've closed their eyes, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and return, and I should heal them. Let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They'll listen. They'll also listen. And when he said these things, they departed, the Jews. When it says the Jews, it's talking about the religious leaders. They had a dispute amongst themselves. Listen, they didn't want to hear those words. They didn't want to hear the words that they wouldn't believe. You see, it wasn't that they couldn't believe. It's that they wouldn't believe. There's not a one of us here. There's not a one of you here that has not yet made a decision for Jesus Christ. There's not a one of us here that can't come to Christ. The issue is, will you? The issue is, will you come to accept Him? You can. The option's yours. What we'll do as a, as a group of people is we'll love you the best we can. We'll love you to death. Try to love you. And we'll try, like Paul and like Jesus Christ, we'll try to persuade you. But we can't make you. No one can make you. No one can. That's a decision that you and only you can make for yourself. What we'll do is we'll give you the best, the greatest privilege that we can give you, and that is we'll study the Bible line upon line. We'll allow you to bring your own Bible, read read for yourself what it says to your heart, let the Lord speak to you and see what it says. We'll try no hidden agendas. We won't try to to uh, dodge or duck any difficult passages. We'll teach them the best we know how. You know, because the book of Acts doesn't end, or at least it, it appears to be just abruptly ending, some commentators have written this. Don't know whether I believe this or not, but it's kind of nice. It's kind of a nice thought. Could it be, some have written, that there's no real ending to the book of Acts because it's an ongoing story. You and I are still writing the ending to the book of Acts. We are still going out into Jerusalem, our Jerusalem, our Judea, our Samaria. In other words, in the communities in which we live. Some of us are going out to the remotest parts of this earth. And we're still trying to persuade people to come to Christ. And perhaps some have written, and I think this is really stretching it. Dr. Luke is still up there in heaven going, oh, there's another one. And he's writing about, you know, look at the rock church. Look what they're doing. You know, and he's writing. I don't know that that's true at all. But what God has perhaps called, not perhaps, what God has called everyone to do from the very beginning of time until now is to share the gospel to reach into the community in which we live and try to persuade friends and neighbors and loved ones to come to Christ. At least we'll try to reach those who will listen and believe. Father, thank you. It's it's the greatest privilege that you've ever, ever given any of us, and that is to be able to touch the very garment of, of, of your hem and to, the hem of your garment, 
and to really sense that you're moving within us. And that can't take place, Father, unless we, we study your word. So we'll do that faithfully, Father. And we understand and we believe with all of our hearts that you will faithfully touch our hearts, every single one of us. And so, Father, move within our lives. For those of us who know you, let us take very seriously this time together. For those of us here this morning that are still investigating, and God bless them, that's, that's a good thing. I hope they continue to do that. May they sense your spirit talking to them. Not me. Not me, Father. Let them sense your heart moving upon theirs, that they might come to know you and walk with you, become the person that you want them to become. For most in this room, that's not going to be a major change. It's not. It's just going to be a, a different little tweak, a little twist and turn here and there. For some, it'll be a major change like it was in my life. But it matters not, Father. We pray that you'll move upon our hearts and you'll move upon our lives, that we'll become a people that desire to walk with you. Now, thank you for our time together. In Jesus' most precious name, amen. I went a little long. I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. I love you with all my heart. I'll see you next week. We'll start on verse 1 of chapter 1, and we'll start our journey.